so much for tuning in into the Soy Chingona podcast. I am your host, E. Marie, and I am here today with Kino, who I'm very excited um, to sit down with and share his journey on how he became the person that he is today. Um, Kino, thank you so much for coming into this space today, and um, thank you to Marley's Coffee that we're recording at because they always create a safe space for us to feel comfortable and talk. Um, Kino, tell my listeners uh, who you are today. What makes you you? All right. Um, I am a uh, artist, musician, father. Um, I am uh, an activist and, mm-hmm. and a survivor. Um, tell me a little bit of how you grew up. I don't really know a lot about your childhood. You know, um, I, I the first seven years of my life uh, were were, uh, were were pretty radical in terms of just moving around and um, not very stable. Um, I was born in the L.A. area, but don't remember. It was very young. My father was going to school in Cal Poly at the time. Okay. Uh, my mother's from Coachella. She uh, was born and raised there. Her parents. Um, Mexican immigrants, my grandfather from Chihuahua, my grandmother from Zacatecas. So she grew up on a farm, a uh, vegetable farm, you know, and, and uh, produce kind of uh, oriented farm. And, uh, and then my father was, um, he passed away when I was seven years old. Wow. He was uh, of Scot-Irish descent, uh, very tall, red-headed uh, white man. And... Um, and like I said, he, he studied um, at Cal Poly. He, he was, got a job um, eventually with Dole uh, okay. Fruit Company. And we moved down to Honduras for two years. So I spent my sixth and seventh year living in Honduras. And um, that's where my brother James was born. And, you know, um, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm your fan, Erica. <laughs> So I uh, well, don't I make me get emotional, Kino. Okay, <laughs> that just means so much that you just said that. <laughs> so you know, I listened to a lot of your podcasts, and I and that um, you know, and we were just talking right now about how a lot of times when I'm doing interviews, I'm an artist, so a lot of people focus on my artistic career, right? And I don't get to talk about a lot of personal stuff, which sometimes artists are not ready to do that. You know right. what I mean? Because sometimes we're not ready to expose certain things about ourselves but you know I'm I'm, a, I'm gonna turn 53 on Sunday Ooh. and so it's it's important for me to to share a little bit more about myself because I think that you know young people need to know where we right. come from and, and need to know that um, you know they need to see that honesty demonstrated in, right. in their elders and I'm considering myself an elder nowadays and uh, so so yeah, you know, I mean, I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, to get a little bit, little get a little bit more personal. Yes, you know? I love it because that's what I live for. <laughs> um, I love, and as you know, talking about subjects that can make people feel uncomfortable. Um, but also, this platform is about sharing your truth, right? Whatever yes. that truth may be, and that's why I think it's so important for people to be in an environment where they feel comfortable enough um, to do that, you know. Um, I feel honored that you're willing to do that with me and share. Um, I did um, want to touch up on 
you being an artist, um, obviously, because that has helped shape a lot of your career and what you've done as an activist, right? Um, I grew up listening to you and not just listening to you, but watching you play, right? In person at Balboa Park and, you know, Earth Day, like I told you before we recorded, was something that was very special to me as a kid growing up um, because it was something different. Right, and my parents were so into it. I didn't grow up with a lot of kids that parents were into that scene, right? So it was definitely something really special. Um, and then it influenced, you know, my cousins to have tribal seeds, and you know where they've gone with that, and they've been able to do, you know, beautiful things with you on that. My question for you, as an artist, when you were singing those songs back in the day, right? I feel like listening to it now that I'm an adult, all that stuff is so relevant to what we're going through now in our political climate. How does that affect you? Does that worry you that those songs from 20 something years ago can still be so relevant till today? You know, um, unfortunately we are still having to sing about those songs. And you know, yeah. I, I think, you know, it's particularly talking about the, the border situation in regards to, you know, the way immigrants are being treated right now mm -hmm. and, and, and traditionally have been treated. Um, right. You see a lot more support nowadays. I mean, I think that, that, that the thing that's good about times like this is that um, people do get active. People get passionate because yes. those of us who do believe in, in, um, in helping those humans that part of our family that are in an unfortunate situation and forced to leave their home which nobody wants to leave their home right right um, I, you know it, it, it helps us get get together unify get that energy going do our studying and do our research because right now you know those of us who are really compassionate and very active in the immigrant struggle um, are having to do our homework, or having to figure out how to explain, you know, our stance, and 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 figuring out how to defend immigrants. So I know that, you know, even I, you know, that this, you know, you're probably talking about like the song "Border Town," yes, which came out in 1994, right. which is what I was singing earlier today <laughs> before yeah. I met with you, right? <laughs> I One of my all-time favorites. I love it. I shared all -time it. All-time favorite. It took me a while, but okay, I know how to do this. <laughs> you got it, because I saw it, so that's good. I did. I got it. I was very happy. Um, you know, um, Bordertown came out at a very significant time in the immigrant struggle, because in 1994, you had Operation Gatekeeper, which was the militarization, the very first serious militarization of the border between the United States and Mexico. Um, you also had the implementation of NAFTA that year, um, and the Zapatista Rebellion, which mm -hmm. they were all connected, because the Zapatistas really understood what the hell NAFTA meant. NAFTA was the training grounds, or sort of the prototype for mm -hmm. what eventually would become the neoliberalism that we see today, right? right. This idea that trade is going to be something that um, capitalism is going to base themselves upon. Mm -hmm. So the idea that we're able to manufacture something in some far off land and take advantage of cheap labor mm -hmm. and then ship it in these big container ships or trucks in the, in the case of you know Mexico and the United States 
Um, and even we didn't know what the hell was going on, right? I mean, I was just a young guy that grew up in San Diego, um, you know, was a proud uh, Latino, proud Chicano, Mexican-American, whatever you call, you know, whatever we call ourselves, um, that experienced people um, being abused and, mm -hmm. and kicked around and, and rounded up by, uh, by Border Patrol and, and so confused because I knew that these people were part of our lives, right? We all had undocumented people in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. We had people that worked in our backyards, people that, that uh, babysit our children, people that were maids and, mm -hmm. and, and then people, dishwashers. I mean, you know, it was just restaurant workers, on and on. You knew that this population was embedded in our community, mm -hmm. but you didn't know why and understand who was it that got rounded up and why. Why is it that some people get picked up, some people don't, some people are, you know, you, obviously they're a working part of our community. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to make sense of things myself and Border Town was just, you know, one of those songs that um, I used to remind everybody. One of the lines that I, I can't believe I wrote back then, if it weren't for fate, we might be each other. Mm -hmm. So. Um, and uh, yeah, it is a shame that we're still dealing with this issue. Uh, fortunately for me, I have a lot of background on it. <laughs> so, so, you know, let, just last year when we came out with uh, Deportation Nation, uh -huh. um, it was, it, it felt good. I, I, I had been really bothered the, the year before saying, you know, Trump, man, he's already been in, in office for a while. And I really haven't come out with, you know, because I almost felt like, how am I going to talk border town, right? Mm -hmm. But I got to figure out a way to, 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 you know, now that, that uh, I'm older and I have a little bit more of a sophisticated understanding of the issues, how am I going to come up with something to and show my solidarity? Articulate what, exactly. what you're feeling, what you're going through. And more right. importantly, in, it, it show that clear solidarity with the immigrant community so that they know that Big Mountain stands with them. Right. right. Which is, like I said, for me, it was going back into, you know, your older music. It was kind of shocking to me re-listening to your albums as an adult because back then I didn't understand, right? I didn't understand what was going on in my backyard. I didn't understand we would have you know, immigrants running through our backyard living in Del Sol and San Isidro and it was just like such a common thing. As a child, I didn't question it. As a child, I didn't question the words that you guys were putting out, right? I was just feeling the music and I was a little kid in my little flower dress and I was just feeling in those moments but didn't pay attention to the words until I got older and became an adult and then went back and went, wow, this stuff is touching me right now as an adult because of what we're going through. And in a way that I have experienced going through the Trump administration, um, it did light a fire in me, right? Because it made me angry enough to want to do something about it community-wise, right? And I didn't want to get into big politics and do anything that, I wanted to focus on my community because it affected <laughs> so many people I knew, right? Right. And so that was always a really powerful thing. So like I said, it's just, it, it is crazy and it is a little heartbreaking to me to listen to those words and say, wow, we still have these issues. But I am also realizing that if that means that to me, what did it mean to the people who were dealing with the civil rights? 
way back then, right? And now they're seeing things flip backwards and everything that they worked so hard for. And now my generation is preaching the same things. It's got to be a little hurtful in that to see our nation go backwards. It is. And I think that, you know, this has to be a lesson for us to really put on trial the whole two-party electoral system Mm -hmm. that we're stuck in in this country. Um, And I've never been a fan of democracy the way the United States practices it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we forget that Obama still has deported more people than Trump has. Like twice as many. Um, So, you know, the Democratic Party is always going to be using people of color as this token support. They just expect us to support them. Um, And we never put them on trial. You know, we are always ready to give Democratic politicians a free ride. And we defend them. We defend their policies. We defend their their apathy and their their fence straddling, right? Um, I don't know what it's going to take. I am not a fan of the Democratic Party. I'll, I'm very clear and outspoken about that. Um, and you know, I, I, I've almost come to the point where I realize that it's I have and I, I was talking about I hate institutions, right? I hate right. the word institution. I think I hate chairman. I hate I hate things like boards. I all of that is European uh, forms that I think that are that trap us in into not being able to free our minds and recognize other ways for us to organize. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have to build institutions outside of the two-party framework uh, and outside of everything that, that we that we've experienced as human beings in this country. Um, that's why times like these are almost better for activism. I hate to say that, but a lot of what we've built in the activist community is very flimsy, especially when we are building it through government-funded organizations. You know, the more we can spend time knocking on doors, the more we can spend time communicating and really building um, uh, real solidarity with our community, our neighbors, um, you know, public gardens, um, I mean, we, we, we forget how powerful these things are. I mean, we, we look at it, well, you know, okay, we're just going to be growing some cucumbers and tomatoes. No. What we're doing is we're going back to the land. We're allowing our children to feel the earth. We are sharing in a common experience that's helping us, and we are empowering each other, you know. It's not about the pepinos that we grow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about that shared time where we build that trust. And we empower each other. With that trust comes power, and we, and we come to understand we can depend upon each other, and we can organize amongst each other. We don't need outside organizations to come in and tell us what to do. We don't need necessarily the sociologists, and I'm, that was my, I never finished my degree, but I'm a sociologist by, you know, by discipline. Um, but we don't need those people to come in and tell us how to organize our neighborhoods. So it's, uh, you know, let it be a lesson on all of us that two-party um, democracy is not the answer to our problems. 
So how do we teach that to the generation that's coming up behind us? Their tools are so much different than what we had before, right? Like, um, and it's funny because when all these things started coming up again with, with immigration policy and especially down here in San Diego, my dad was like, this shit's been going on for years, Miha. Like, this shit's been going on way before you were born, but now you guys have social media that's constantly putting things out there, putting out the good and the bad out of it. Right. You know, so it, I think it's hard for the next generation, millennials, to connect with all that stuff and learn how to deal with it. You know, I, I, I appreciate the cynicism of the younger generation. I think that um, the younger generation right now, I don't want, you know, I can't, I can't lump everybody together, but, but I, I am seeing a certain amount of um, skepticism mm -hmm. um, on older forms of organizing and concepts that we use to explain our lives. I think they're a lot more realistic than kind of some of the peace and love stuff that came out of the 70s, right? That mm -hmm. was my generation, right? I'm, I graduated in 1984, so I'm very much a part of that post-Vietnam, uh, post-colonial type of, yes. you know, way of explaining um, the world and, and, and why we're so messed up. Um, you know, another thing that I'm seeing is, is I, I do see where more and more there's some, you know, obviously there's a lot of more barriers that young people are just tearing down in an evolutionary way. It's not like, you know, it's not like they're really conscious of, of tearing down uh, old concepts, uh, uh, you know, prejudice against different communities whether that be a community that's different on an ethnic level or a community that's different on a gender level. Um, I think that's what it's going to take. I think it's, you know, more and more we just have to tear down this fear and this idea that, you know, that uh, I, 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 we shouldn't ever get paranoid or feel helpless about what's going on in this country. What's happening with this whole, you know, I, what, I, what I would say, what's going on in the Anglo community, the white community here in the United States, is very much um, that community dealing with itself and its own ramifications mm -hmm. of a world that they created that is slipping out of their hands, and they're more and more understanding that that, that old process of living is what has created all of the destruction in the world today, right? I mean, just this capitalist, me, 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 individualistic, right. let me think about living now, materialism. Um, and this is, you know, this is European thought that, that, that we keep on, are told that, well, this is why, this is why we are so advanced now. This is why we live till we're 80 years old. This is why, you know, uh, we have human rights. Um, all of these things came with this colonial sort of movement, right? right? This Europeans going out into the world and teaching us native people, or, you know, I'm European too, right? I mean, I, I, I'm half white, 
Um, so when I say this, I talk, I'm talking about myself, but I'm right. also talking about from the other perspective, from the indigenousness in me, you mm -hmm. know, that I do also recognize is what has been missing. That's why the world is off balance, because of, you know, clamping down on this patience, this idea of treading lightly on the earth, this idea of not feeling like an individual, right? Um, why is it that so many people of color have trouble with business? Why is it that so many people of color have trouble with individuality, with personal gain versus the community gain? It's because these are thousands of years of culture that's been embedded in this community that you can't just flip in 150 on, years. Right? Thank God. Because the individualness that Europeanness brought us is what has created all of the environmental destruction. This me, 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 this idea that it's all about money, that it's all about personal success versus the welfare of the community. Right. So, you know, young people, I think they're getting exasperated with this individualistic, everything is about money, everything is about success, everything is about business, everything is about building wealth within yourself and, and you know, starting your own business and, and, and having the success. But, you know, money is not the answer. Money is not the answer. Wealth is not the answer. The answer is health. Mental health. Yes. Community health. Yes. Um, respect, um, respect for elders, respect for children, everything in between, you know, having that real community sense and, that, and, and putting that forward and, and as the priority, that's what's important. That is what we should be focusing on. I believe and I think kids are getting it. Kids are like, I don't, you know, I look at my kids, you know. I have one child that's off doing her thing in university. I have a son that's very like much like me, a mm -hmm. musician, my son Jacob, and he's like, Dad, don't even get into telling me that, you know, I gotta get my shit together for what, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, Mijo, you're right. You're right. Just, you know, tread lightly, be patient. Don't freak out. I always tell my kids, you know, these acronyms. My big one is DFO. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. You're doing fine. I don't need, you know, I don't want you to be a millionaire. I don't want you to be a materialist. I want, I want you to be a good human being. Right. I want you to be happy. I want you, I want you to find that wealth comes in different ways, not just money. Absolutely. Right? Wealth in your heart and your soul and what you feel and what you take in and what you give out. Totally. Mm. Totally. Um, I did want to mention too when it comes to the world of reggae music. Um, you'd mention the generation of peace and love, mm -hmm. right? And quote the hippie you right. know, generation. And you know, it's funny to me because my cousin ran into a situation with his music where he was on stage and he had said, fuck Trump. And he had started a chant, right? And the crowd, and he's getting the crowd all worked up and stuff. And he had a very negative response to that by people that listened to his music. And they threw a beer can at him. 
right, for saying this. And then people start commenting and saying, how could you feel that way? You're all about peace and love. This is what reggae music is. For me, because I grew up with reggae music, it was rebel music, right? Right. The songs that were being sung were about the things that were going on in community and about the towns and how to fight against that, right? And fight for yourself. So it was amazing for me to see this new generation come up and be pissed off and not understand. To me, I felt like, do you not listen to the words that these reggae artists are singing about? Because it's not always going to be peace and love. No. That's not realistic. No. Right? Did you run into that with creating music and, and having a younger generation just think you're all about peace and love and butterflies? <laughs> yes. Yes. And, um, you know, and I, and I, you know, I hate to tell with Stevie, I guess, yeah? And I hate to yeah. think that he, that he had to deal with that reality. I wish, you know, I, I wish... Um, you know, I wish I could spend more time with him and just kind of just ease his heart of that. Because it is, it's, it's a, it can be a very frightening experience as an artist when you really start to get a big blowback um, on a political level. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's easy to say things, it's easy to sing about things, but then when you deal with the actual ramifications of it and you're, you're dealing with some sort of hostile person coming at you you know and it gets easier it gets easier and you and you kind of you come to realize I mean we're dealing with the same thing you know I, I have a management that uh, that you know really is on the fence about whether or not I should be as political as I am right and uh-huh. and we're not out of the woods right I got I got I got musicians we all have we're all fathers we're all fighting for every last little dollar that we can make to keep to keep the thing going and, and, and survive as musicians. Um, so, um, you know, there's a lot of people that come around with this idea. Well, why are you trying to, you know, limit your audience? Right. You I've know? been told that. <laughs> I've gotten some heat. And actually, my cousin Stevie is a person that I've gone to a lot and asking him for guidance on that because that's what I would get. That's great. It's great if you do that. You know, you guys, the more you guys console each other about this, it'd be about being public figures, about being people that are really easy, it's easy for, you know, for, for people to poke um, at you and us, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, and, and, you know, you do have to realize that a lot of the people that we're dealing with, especially on the internet, like the, the so-called trolls, uh-huh. um, the vast majority of these people have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Right. Right. So, and you find that out really quickly. If yes. you, you know, like... <laughs> engage and you, you're going yeah, back and forth. When you try to yes. engage, pretty soon you're going to find out, oh, well, this, you know, I'm dealing with somebody that has not studied the issue. Right. And, and is totally ignorant. Right. So, when you come to that realization, then that should wipe out most of the anxiety that you feel right. about right. that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because... Um, if you're dealing with somebody that is either ignorant or is unwilling to really look at, at the other side and and, and contemplate and listen, yeah, you know, then you just need to you just need to start blocking people. Right. And and sometimes dealing within your own tribe is just a matter of survival, you know, and focus and energy. We don't have energy to try to 
to try to convert everybody that's going to argue against our points. Right. So, you know, you got to you gotta be conscious about how you're spreading yourself thin. You got to be conscious of people that are worthy of your, of, of your time, you know what I mean, and your energy. Um, a lot of this is about, a lot of the work that you're doing and that I'm doing and that what Stevie's doing, it's about solidifying people that are already heading in our direction, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of people that are just way too lost. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, you, you, there's, there's going to be times when you feel confident to really get, um, vocal about, about things. And then there's going to be times there, there, there's been times when I don't engage. There's times when I decide I'm not going to say anything right now. Right. You know, that's fine. You don't have to be politically outspoken all the time. All the time, no. right. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you've got the energy to do it. Sometimes you don't. Right. That's just being human. Right. And that's what it is, is energy. It's whether do I want to put that energy out, and when I do, what's the energy I'm going to get in return? Right? And am, it, I, am I ready to handle it? Yes. Am I ready to, is that going to affect me in that moment, or am I going to take that home with me, and it's going to affect the rest of my night? Right? So exactly. it is about you know, trying to see not just what I put out, but what I'm getting back, yes. you know, from that And also. that goes for our activism as a whole. Yeah. There's some times when we're going to feel like, hey, I want to grab the sign and I want to march. Yes. And then sometimes when it's just like, all I can do is my podcast. Yeah. All I can do is my art. I, all I can do is write a song right now about it. Yeah. I can't, I, I don't have the energy and that's, that's being human. That's fine. So you know we can't we can't feel you you, you really got to put a cap on feeling guilty about oh god I you know I, I should be doing more no man you can't don't don't judge yourself like that. I've had to take more than a few steps back <laughs> on doing stuff like that too because when yeah. you're in it and you get energized and you start you know even when you're feeding off of stuff that's positive you're still feeding off of energy. Right? So even good, positive energy can be draining. And that Absolutely. took me a while to understand that. That, okay, I kept thinking, well, I'm surrounding myself with these awesome people and I'm taking all this good, but why am I still going home and I'm still feeling completely wasted and completely drained? Because energy is energy. Because you need to, yeah, you need to, you know, we got we to gotta keep our lives together. You know what I mean? And you see, like, a lot of that happen. You know, especially like I, I, I lived through a lot of that. You know, fortunately, I had some amazing examples in my life. But people that let their whole lives fall apart for the sake of the revolution, that doesn't help anybody either. You know what I mean? It's like you gotta, you gotta keep your life together. You know what I mean? And, and when it's time for you to drop back and say, no, I gotta take care of myself now. I'm investing way too much time, yes. energy, money. Yes. You know, um, and. Uh, and then you just you just wait till you've gotten till you you, you you feel charged again. You know right. what I mean? But don't you know, we can never feel we can never feel guilty about drawing back and saying, mm -hmm. I need to take care of myself right now. I think that's part of like what we're seeing earlier is the mental health part, right? And taking care of ourselves and not just taking care of the community that's around us. And I think as activists we care so much about people and the compassion that we have for everybody else that it's easy to slip for ourselves, right? And it's easy to not practice those things for ourselves. So another thing that I've been trying to be very cautious of 
is knowing my purpose in certain environments, right? Like knowing that it's okay if I'm only meant to do this one event with this one organization and I did that, it's okay to take that step back and say, I did my purpose. That was my purpose in that moment and now I have to go move somewhere else, right? And fulfill another part of yeah. me, right? Because you have to understand, you have a special gift, right? You're a great communicator. Thank and you. that's so important. And it's so important that you do it well, right? Mm -hmm. And if you spread yourself too thin, it's gonna affect your podcast. Right. People are depending on your podcast. You know what I mean? So. And the same thing with artists out there. You know what, don't, don't feel like you need to pick up a sign. There's other people to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, there's other people that can focus on it. What you need to be focused on is what you're strong at. Focus on your podcast, focus on your communication, focus on your painting, focus on your music, focus on you know your, 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 your writing. Um, because you know because that's important that's like super super important and you never know how influential how much more influential that is than you picking up a sign and going to a march right mm -hmm. and if you do just just don't it doesn't mean you need to organize it doesn't mean you need to get there and you need to <laughs> talk to everybody and sign a <laughs> email list and shit like that just right. pick up a sign write something go down there boom i'm here representing and then see you later you sneak out right and then be done with it and you're okay like right. and you're done with it it's not you know it doesn't have to be oh i'm gonna get a, get a, you know involved in another organization no right i've you know i've been there many times in my life um activists man when they when they see you you know what i mean those community organizers you know shit whether whether they're Christians or Maoists, man, they'll like, come, you know? Yeah. You know, we need you at a meeting. And it's like, well, you know, you just gotta say, man, I'm so busy, you know? Um, let's let's communicate, you know? Uh, let's, let's try to keep on networking, but um, don't ever have a problem saying, I gotta focus on what, what I'm doing. Right. Let, let's talk more about you being an activist. When did that start for you? When did you really get into you know what? I have this amazing aunt, my tia, Clyde. And she took me on a march. I would have been about 14 years old, 13, 14. And it was Women Take Back the Night. There was like, uh, there had been a lot of um, sexual assaults in San Diego at that time. And we started off in City College, and we marched all the way to Embarcadero, okay. right down Broadway. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and she was like, she was going through college at the time. She was studying to be a, a, an attorney, a lawyer, you know, which she ended up becoming. And, um, and she was just my guiding light for a long time. You know, she, uh, hardcore feminist, she, was she dated a, a Rastaman, lived you know with him, practically married for common law, I guess you could call it, for many many years, um, and and she, you know I lived with her pretty much for about three or four years when she was going through college, when she was finishing up her bachelor's and going into get her law 
her law degree. And uh, she just really just engaged me in, on every level and, and fed me a lot of books and um, just really set some real important guidelines and values straight in my head, you know. Um, and it just it was something that I carried with me my whole time. And really, reggae music is, for me, has been much more of a vehicle for my message than than a music, you know, because uh, for the sake of playing music. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I've always it's been so important for me to. So many people get lost in reggae. You know, and I don't want to judge. I don't want to judge people out there, but right. but I never intended reggae to swallow up my identity. You know, it was always very important for me that people understood I'm a Chicano. Um, I was raised by a black man, but my mother married a black man when I was 11 years old, right? Okay. So I was very close to the black experience and very influential. And me and my we, my, me and my my stepfather, he was a, he's, he was an amazing man. He just passed away three years ago, and an amazing stepfather. You know, nobody can ever really become your father when he takes over at eleven years old, right? Yeah. I was already very much set in in the ways I and he did his best. He cared so much. He showed in so many ways, um, and so I'm so in debt to him. Um, but he was also very different. He was a very, he was a rather conservative black man, you know? Okay. And, but as a consequence of having him in my life, I really did take on a very defensive mode towards, mm -hmm. you know, towards uh, racism against black people. And then eventually Rastafari, reggae, Jamaican culture um, came into my life and, and gave me a vehicle to be able to express that. Um, and then, you know, in college, it was always very interesting to me um, how reggae music and Rastafari was, or sort of, you know, the tools that it gave many of African Americans and, you know, the Pan-African, the African diaspora, right, all over the world. It was like one of these things, people that had been spread apart all over the world because of this horrible thing, chattel slavery, right? Mm -hmm. And they were able to heal a little part of themselves through reggae music, because reggae music taught the whole back to Africa, African identity, Africa's the homeland type of thing. Back and to I the was, roots. Yes, and I was always interested, well, how could, I, how could reggae music do that for Chicanos? Yeah. You know, and the first part of my career, I, I didn't really have time to really focus on that, but, um, but then once we had gone through the whole major label period mm -hmm. of our lives and then I kind of hit a roadblock, Big Mountain really hit a roadblock, the record comp record business as in general fell apart, you know, right? And those of us who depended on record sales for, for income. Right, for your money. Completely <laughs> lost all of that. And um, and I went back to school. You know, it was the only way. And it was, I mean, it was a blessing in disguise because it was like, okay, I got to, you know, I, I get to go back and strengthen my studies, and I, you know, and which is something I always intended to do, but I was forced to do it because right. I needed a job. You yeah. know, because it, it it just was a really tough time to make music, make 
to raise a family as a musician. And so I came back to San Diego. I just, I would always lived here, but for many years I was just touring. It just, you know, was not involved. And I made a point of going out and finding some Chicano leaders and lo and behold, I ran into Ramon Chunky Sanchez and Ricardo Sanchez, Los Alacranes. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, um, you know, just kind of using them as mentors. Yeah. Just sort of the quick, the, uh, uh, how, how would you say, the quick course in Chicanismo. Yeah. <laughs> and I ended up producing, you know, co-producing with them one of their albums and just played, just countless. I just played with Rick the other day. It was his daughter's quinceañera. You know, Chunky unfortunately passed away three years ago after a wonderful career and, and right. doing so much for our people. Yeah. But it was like, you know, I really want, uh, you know, it, it, it was time for me, because I grew up in the, my Chicano, you know, it was, my Chicano family, how do I say this very carefully? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to, I'm, I'm excited to see you know what, what I mean? you come up with right the now, word, what you're going with. The word Chicano <laughs> is not necessarily a good word in my family, Uh-huh. you know. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Okay. And I disagree. Totally. For me, Chicano is not about what you wear, what you eat, and what you drive, mm -hmm. right? Chicano is about a Mexican-American who understands the political consequences of our lives, our, our relegation to being marginalized people mm -hmm. in the United States, right? And... Um, and how do we use our knowledge to overcome our desperate situation? Right. Our, our, our community is, is in serious pain. And so I always wanted my music to, uh, to reflect my pride in Chicano. But still, it was funny because it, it still took me a little bit, a little while to say I'm a Chicano. <laughs> I under I mean I understand that I have a whole. But now it is. I love saying it. I have a whole other side of my family that fought very hard to not be labeled as a Chicano right. because they grew up in a different era in a different time by Chicano Park actually, but they fought hard to prove that they were Americans and not Mexicanos. So Big that, part of that like generation. Yeah. yes, and that like trickled down to. Even our name, um, my middle name is Marie, right? And growing up, I was told to be proud of that middle name because it was a family name. Right? And as I got older, I realized it came from my great grandmother, but her name wasn't Marie, it was Maria. <laughs> so now as an adult and being in the community and being an activist, it bothers me so much that I told my husband, I said, because it's such a pain in the ass to change your name. <laughs> To anything, but I said when I get to that point, I will change my name to Maria because my family name is Maria. Who in the hell my family gave everyone the right to change that to Marie? Right? And so it was very confusing. So even starting the podcast, it took me a while to state that my podcast was a platform for people of color. It was hard for me to say that because I didn't want to hurt people's feelings, right? I didn't want to offend people. Well, shit, I've been offended plenty in my life and people didn't care. So then I looked into people that would state that whatever platform they were using was for people of color and allies. 
and what that meant to be an ally. Right. And so now it's taken me all this courage to finally say my platform is for people of color and allies. Right. And it took a lot and it was like painful to get that out and yeah. be proud of that. Yeah. And, say yeah. That. And, and, and imagine and, you know, like we get so frustrated, right? I get so frustrated with whoever Chicanos or whoever people of color. It's like, hello, you know, come on, man. You know what I mean? I mean, we, we, if, if we can't solve the problem unless we identify the problem, right? Uh, but if it took, if it was difficult for you and I to be able to come to terms with concepts and terms like that yes. that have such negative connotations in our society, right. then um, then you can imagine what you know other people that haven't had the opportunity to study it as much as you and I have. Right. You know? Right. So we gotta, we gotta be patient. We gotta be patient with our people, man. You know. And you know, and another thing that I that, that, that I think is important to say is um, another thing that's preoccupied me because I come from a family that is African American and Chicano and white, mm -hmm. right? Um, has been sort of, you know, building bridges between the African American community and the and the Mexican American community. Specifically, you know what I mean? I know general Latinos. That's another thing about so tough about being Latino, right? Because you say, well, we're so Latino. That's why it's, you know, sometimes I say I'm a Chicano. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a person that comes from, I'm descended from Mexican people. And Mexican people have traditionally um, have, have had to deal, and Mexico has had to deal with the, the colonial aspects of living next to the United States, right? Mm -hmm. Our greatest piece of luck was we were born next to the United States and our greatest downfall is that we were born next to the United States right. because it's been not, it's been a one-way relationship mm -hmm. and it's been totally negative for Mexico and totally positive for the United States yes. right and um, but our situation is special you know we are persecuted in our country of our birth and we are also um, what's the words? You know, we don't necessarily have a very favorable <laughs> image in Mexico. <laughs> so, so we're fucked on both sides of the border, you know? Right. And, uh, but, you know, but I always try to make Chicanos understand, you know, the African-American community has spent so much time um, in the area of healing mm -hmm. that we haven't really had a chance to, you mm -hmm. know? Um, it, it's so important for us to look at the African American community not just as leaders on a, on a human level because they were forced to. You know what I mean? And, and you know, and if I'm an I'm an ethnic studies sociologist, right? So they got all these terms of why African Americans and Anglo Americans are more associated on a historical level and the cultural myth of yes. that relationship. Yes is very much something that kind of doesn't include us Indians, yes. so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, but there's so many things that Chicanos don't need to reinvent. You know? You can pretty much, a Chicano can go to Chicano studies and learn a lot, but every Chicano should take black studies, African-American studies, right? Because it's, it's, it's going to be the same tools. We're going right. to be using the same exact tools to heal our communities, you know? So, um, 
you know, get off of this idea that there's any difference between, on a political level, right? right. On a political level, there's not a whole lot of difference between African-American community and Chicano community. It's important for Chicanos to state that. Right. It's important for Chicanos to to really be clear about that and, 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 and just deny and turn your back on any kind of myths that are contrary to that fact. Right. It's almost too, like when I look at my my grandpa's generation and them being most of them being first generation that was here you know and they would make the differences of who we were as Mexicans compared to the African-American community and I always say the most racist people I've met in my life are Mexicanos and my own grandpa to this day says things that are just so outrageous to me as if he is putting himself on this pedestal thinking he's better than the African-American community and even as a child I never understood that but as an adult now it's just like I what happened in your generation in your era that you really believed again was it this separation of I'm not one of these people I'm American Right? And that like put the separation in between how they felt about other cultures. But it's seriously, it's still the racism that I hear, even from my generation of Latinos. It's frustrating, and it, you know, it's it's an ignorance that you that, that uh, it's it's up it's up to us, it's up to our generation to to confront that ignorance, not just on a you know, not not just on a on a cultural level, but a but a strategic level, you know? It's like, get with it, man. Right. Get, you know, get get with it. I mean, it's, uh, we gotta be working together. Right. You know, we have to be working together. And then um, that's why, you know, yo, I'm always, I'm always about black and brown, get down. And like you say, the allies, I mean, this is not, this is not to say the poor Anglos, poor white people are not, facing a lot of the similar situations that we are. Yes. You know what I mean? So we need to we need to always open the door to whoever is going to be there to help. But there's certain, you know, there, there are certain issues that we can only get help and, 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 and you know, real, really build tools and strategy for uh, that people of color are only going to get from each other. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, um, going back a little bit, let me ask you about your experience with uh, being on CNN. Because that was quite a thing. I mean, and I didn't see it live, and Tony Ray was like, you didn't know that they were on CNN? He's like, you're going to love this, and like sent me the YouTube on it. How was that experience? It was uh, It was scary, man. <laughs> God, you know what I mean? It was like, I thought I had everything figured out, and... And I, I sit there and I think I look at it now and I go, my God, how did you, how did you spit that out? Because I remember, you know, just praying. Oh man, just give me some, give me some words. Let me say this right. Let me say something, you know, that that is gonna help. Because mm-hmm. the last thing you want to do is go on there and say something stupid, you know. Right. <laughs> you did a great job, by the way. Fantastic job at articulating uh, what you really wanted to come across, but I couldn't imagine that that was easy for you. You know, um, I mean, it was fortunate that that, that 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 whole project came across the way it did. Um, because, 
you know, I mean, it, 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 it was it was something that I had to fight for within. You know, I, I am the leader of Big Mountain, but there mm -hmm. is still, you know, there's still a certain amount of democracy when it comes to, you know, how political we should get, right? right? And um, and and I always have to be conscious of the fact that I have six families, right? right. That are that are that are being represented, that are being representative too. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like. So it's a real frustrating. It's a real frustrating thing being a political artist when when, when you're in a group of people that um, everybody shares. Of course, right. you know we're we're all politically aligned, but you know we're all tiptoeing through this you know industry. It hasn't been difficult for Big Mountain to come back on the scene, and for us to you know reggae is happening, but you know you'd be surprised how quickly people forget about you. You know. And uh, you know, I, I was just really, really happy that 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 um, you know that that hopefully I, my thought was just I just hope that some people that need this that need to hear because I felt like at that point, especially last October, you know, there if you would have been a non-documented person in the United States and still today, but you know, you just gotta wonder: Does anybody love me? Does anybody want me? You know right. what I mean? Um, even Tijuana, right? Some of the things that you've seen, uh, the gente from Tijuana and the, the people from Mexico express about the Central American people. Right. It's so unfortunate that uh, that we have to keep on going through that kind of stuff. It's like, come on, man, you know. It, but that's why the whole education. And, you know, you would think that most people would understand, okay, Central America. Um, Central America is sort of the the fields of the United States, you know. If you eat a banana, if you've eaten any bananas, Americans, guess where those bananas come from? They were grown in Florida, all right? And fruit companies like United Fruit Company, Standard Fruit Company, which my father worked for, they've been in Central America for over a hundred years. All right, and if you look at uh, coups that happened in 1952 in Guatemala, uh, the the massacre that you, that, that you you know that uh, uh, United Fruit Company was responsible. I forget what year it was in Colombia, and then we forget that just nine years ago there was a coup in Honduras, and it was during the Obama administration and Hillary Clinton was all in that all right and her a lot of her buddies uh, are were really are really tight with the big families the oligarchy that now runs Honduras mm -hmm. okay so if we want to take on this attitude like we have no connection to Honduras that is just the, the totally misinformed stance to take Honduras is in the situation that it is in because of the U.S. Yes. Marines. Yes. <laughs> and I will sit here and argue with you all day long about that if you want. All right. And this is a man that has lived in Honduras, spent his sixth and seventh year on a little plantation surrounded by bananas because his daddy worked for Dole. So, you know, you just see it. it, it it's frustrating to fight against that ignorance and, you know, for people to think, oh, well, why are these people coming from Honduras and, 
you know, why can't they just fix themselves in Honduras? Hello, they can't fix their situation because the United States Congress and the United States Marines will not let them fix, and they are the ones that are training the killing squads down there. Right, but that is not what we hear being covered, right? That's not, those aren't the things that are being covered on the news and in the media and on social media, right? Even those... You know, just like the whole thing of, you know, Mexicans and the drug problem coming over the border, and yet it's, to me, such a huge distraction to throw our drug issues in America on Mexico and not talk about what we were talking about before we started recording, the drug issues here and pharmaceutical issues that we have here in the States, right? And it's just another distraction of what's really going on. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And, you know, part of the problem is, is um, you know, this is something that, this is something, if we go back to the two-party uh, issue, this is something, you know, business in Honduras is supported by Democrats and Republicans. So they're going to control the airwaves, they're going to control the narrative. Right. Um, you know, like, it was just like the coup. Nobody in the Western Hemisphere supported that coup that happened just nine years ago in Honduras. The only country, the only administration to support that coup was the Obama administration. So once again, we go back to this idea that for some reason we should be giving the Democrats a blank check. No man, we gotta keep, we gotta hold government accountable. accountable. Right? So with all these and with all the frustrations of being out there and being, you know, a political activist and stuff, what what keeps your drive? What keeps you going and wanting to keep doing what you're doing? Um, wow. <laughs> Good question. Right? I, want you, I, I mean, I really want to know you as an individual, right? And taking away you, taking away from Big Mountain and taking away where you are as an artist, you know, what keeps you doing this? You know, um, you know, and I guess this is where I can get a little personal, you know. Um, I, you know, I, I, the, my, I had a very traumatic childhood, like many of us did, right? Um, and I've had, I've had, I've dealt with depression my whole life. Um, and, you know, I think that there's been times in my life uh, where I've really let the people I love down around me. Um, and and maybe not maybe not in a you know it just maybe you know neglect in terms of attention times with my children I think that's kind of probably the thing that I regret the most is that I wasn't there for my children but part of the reason was um, you know was because I just I, I, I really doubted whether I was the right person for them to be around sometimes. Mm -hmm. And a kind of a sense of you know, uh, I was, I've never really been into hard drugs, but um, alcohol has been, um, you know, something that uh, has hindered uh, me and has has kept me from being fully productive. Um, 
But deep down inside, I've always had hope that one day I was going to be able to kick everything. And that, and it's kind of been part of my healing, you know what I mean? Even when you're trapped in, you know, substance abuse like alcohol or, you know, for me, marijuana and cigarettes, uh, and we talked about this earlier, uh, I don't think were the most positive thing for me. Um, I think I didn't really... Uh, I could have I could have gotten a lot more done without them, but there is a certain amount of this, you know, Jesus kind of you gotta abuse yourself before you can really see the light yeah. type of thing, you know, this um, you know, this uh, self sacrifice, right. you know. Um, And now that I'm kind of like getting to a point in my life where I really think I'm starting to control these things and I'm really, you know, I'm getting to a point where it's like I, I just, um, you know, all, that, all the anxiety that I, I held on to uh, as a younger adult um, is, is not as powerful as it was, you know. Um, and I could feel myself doing that. I mean, I really felt like I, I really felt like I've been in a mission um, my whole life, and felt like I had to keep on studying no matter what, even through my darkest times. Um, I always stayed studying. I always investigated life. I've been a voracious reader, uh, an information addict. And I think that more than anything, my curiosity is what got me through. Yeah. You know, my, my wonder at this life, um, you know, I, I, uh, I look at, you know, people that have, you know, my heroes, um, you know, my like like I said, my Tia Clyde, you know, although we have we don't spend enough, we don't spend a whole lot of time together these days, you know. Uh, she put a lot of purpose in me, she put a lot of faith in me. She you know, she told me a long time ago, Kino, you get it and you gotta do it. You know, so disappointing her um, would be ooh, the worst thing that I could ever do, you know. I have an amazing mother. My father, you know, my, my, my stepfather, Lorenzo Gunn is his name. He passed away three years ago. Um, he was an amazing example. I mean, you know, and he really was a strong, strong, strong human being um, that rarely made mistakes. And if he did make mistakes, you just didn't see him. Yeah. His only mistake was like working too hard, you know? Yeah. <laughs> His only mistake is that kind of stuff, yeah. and maybe not spending as uh, as much time as he should have with us. But as far as an example, and his ability to just be there for people when they needed it, you know, he was always ready to come and snatch me up 
out of any little bad situation I was in, there he was there. You know, he wasn't always there to to help me through personal crises that, mm -hmm. that, that that weren't that I kept secret. You know, but um, but boy, he was there in terms of you know just a tremendous amount of pride, uh, honor, word. You know, and I think. And my mom is, has been a survivor. She she struggled through some really tough times with my with my uh, biological father. Stuff that I don't even really want to get into. You know what I mean? But it's mm -hmm. but you know because we all have those crazy stories. I know you do yeah. too. <laughs> and oh my God! And and then and then things kept on happening to her, and just partly because of circumstance, or I should say, partly because of maybe choices that she made mm -hmm. um, but partly just because of life yeah. things that life throws at you you right. know and, uh, and and anybody who knows my mom is like knows that she's I still have trouble keeping up with her. really <laughs> she's on fire that woman just this morning there was like I was washing a car at 645 in the morning and it wasn't because I wanted to do it <laughs> She keeps you on your toes. She keeps me on my toes, you know. <laughs> so, you know, these people that, you know, thank God I have some people that I didn't want to disappoint. Yeah. And and then and then some great kids. That's what I was going to ask you. How's your relationship with your kids now? You know, I have um, three biological children, mm -hmm. and I have three children that I raised as a consequence of, of, of being married. Um, and... Uh, you know what? I'm so fortunate. They all, they're all, you know, they're, they, they're all good kids. We're, we're getting through a separation that's been really difficult. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I have, uh, you know, my my oldest daughter, she's she's about to have her first child. She lives in Imperial Beach. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I'm just excited to her. And she always wanted a baby. <laughs> So you're about to be a granddad. And I'm already granddad, you know, because of her. Okay. Uh, the next one, she has, she has two uh, two kids, and okay. um, and so I'm yeah dealing with that whole experience has been has been a, a blessing, and um, and then my son, he's uh, you know it's funny because the biology is it, it don't lie, man. You know, all of my kids that got my blood, got my my musical talent, whatever I have. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm talented, but I'm definitely. Okay, well, dedicated. I will say it. <laughs> okay, that's fine. You don't want to say it, but I'm gonna I say it. I try real you're hard. You're talented. Okay, <laughs> that is a gift. What you give is a uh, gift. You know, my my son Jacob. Uh, he's you know he's just you know he, he is so stubborn about what he wants to do. He wants to do what he the way he wants to do it. Yeah. He told me a long time ago, Dad, don't expect me to ever play reggae music and say, hey, me or whatever. You go do your thing, you know. So it's exciting to see him uh, dealing with the music career because I can I can help him from afar, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And uh, and he and I we connect on so many levels because he's going through exactly the same thing that I went through. Right. And you know I'm able to encourage him because it, it's it's not easy, and he wants to do it on his own. He's never been, you know, he's he, he, he rarely mentions people that find out that he's my 
you know, that he's the son of Kino from Big Mountain. You know, it's only like people in radio, you know what I mean? It's like the big wigs in, the, you know, yeah. in San Diego that find out somehow, oh yeah, that's Kino's son, right? Yeah. Besides that, he doesn't make interviews, never. That would be like totally contrary to his constitution, you know? Yeah. And then um, I have a daughter that's, that's going to school, that's dabbling with music. Uh, she's in Virginia, you know, working her way through college. And um, and you know and then I then I have a, a, my my youngest is uh, oh I, I better not mention my Natalie who's 22 she's going to school uh, UABC in Ensenada oh wow okay and uh, so you know I got some I got some scholars yeah. I have an artist I have a 12 year old and then I have some. Wonderful baby makers. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that, are, that are, you know, that are focusing on building families. And, and, yeah. uh, and everybody, thank God, is healthy, you know. I mean, it's, we were talking about, you know, we're right here in my neighborhood, East San Diego, man. Mm-hmm. I graduated in 1984. And I think about all the friends that I lost to drugs. Um, and, you know, it, I don't know how that happened, how so many of us lost hold of our lives, you know. And so that's always my biggest fear mm-hmm. with my children, um, you know, that, uh, that they're going to get caught up in that. Yeah. And, and thank God, thank God nobody has. Yeah. And I just pray every day that, that we, they continue being healthy, healthy healthy people, you know, and, and uh, that's, 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 that's what I pray about. Um, well, Kino, coming to the end of this episode here, um, what would you like the listeners to really know about you, or where you stand, or your music, or your activism? Um, boy, you know, I... Uh, very, very fortunate um, to have some amazing people in my life. It's been, you know, it, it, it's been exciting. It's, it's never been easy for Big Mountain. I mean, Big Mountain, you know, a lot of people know Big Mountain as the band that sang Baby I Love Your Way. And, right. <laughs> and uh, in some ways the song became much bigger than the band, you know. And, um, yeah. It was kind of a consequence of where, what, where we were at where reggae was at mm-hmm. at the time. Right. A lot of things we could not control. Um, and uh, and so, you know, I think um, those, you know, I mean, it, it, it makes me, it fills me with a lot of sense of accomplishment that you remember songs like Border Town. I mean, that's huge for me. Um, because it's always been really important that people know our our work, our political work, right. some of the some of the art that we did. You know, we we um, we were very fortunate. We got we were in a, a right place at the right time with a music that nobody that very people very few people in the United States knew about. And, yeah. And things happened really quickly for us and. Um, and then it's, you know, and then it's been kind of like trying to make sense of it, 
mm-hmm. trying to make sense of some of the success that we had early on. Um, that's why it's so important the work that I've done with Chicano Park, you know, and the Chicano uh, struggle and the border. Um, that's that's the that's the stuff that endures. Because, yeah. baby, I love your way. Yeah, it's not like I turn down the checks when they come through. <laughs> But it, but but it, it, it did become a little bit of a liability in some sense, you know. Mm-hmm. It uh, it closed doors as much as it opened doors. Closed it closed some yeah. doors for us. So, um, you know, it's uh, hey man, you know, uh, I, I I encourage I encourage people to not freak out. Don't you know? This is a moment in our time. We've been through darker times still. And really this is a time, especially activists out there, uh, people that are, are you know, here to really be on the side of struggling people. This is our time to organize. This is our time when the spotlight is on us because don't think that another Obama is gonna fix our situation. Right. You know. That's when we get too sleepy sometimes. That's when we get too complacent. Um, use this time to be on your toes and, and you know, I mean, I, I see so many beautiful things. You know, here we are at Marley's Coffee. And, you know, I see so many beautiful things going on. Uh, like I was listening to the interview with Milo, you know, Por, por Vida, no? Uh-huh. And it's just, and it's so funny how we met. <laughs> you know what I mean? And when, we, when I saw you there, Saying, okay, I know you. And he goes, we live right across the street from each other, homie, over in Imperial really? Beach. And I was like, no way, really. And now here you are, you got your, look at this, yeah. you know. And you just go, thank you, Ja. Yeah. For that, you just go, God, you know, it's so beautiful that that uh, some good works are happening. Like we were talking about Chicano Park, oh my, it was so overwhelming. You know, 10 years ago, it was hard to get 300 people to come to Chicano Park Day. And now we got the opposite problem. It's like there's right. no <laughs> <laughs> not enough space to hold all these people. Where, where do you park? You know. <laughs> so, uh, so that's beautiful. Yeah. That is so beautiful. And who knows if that would be happening right. if there was a Democrat in the White House right now? Right. I don't know. Right. Something. There's something going on. Right. Um. You know. Sometimes it's not. It's not good to have a friend in power. Sometimes you gotta have a little bit of butterflies in your stomach, you know, yeah. about right. life to get active and get off your ass. Right. I feel like that's what happened to me, and then it's funny because then getting angry turned into being passionate. Being passionate is now for me turning into making sure that I lead with compassion, right, in everything that I'm doing. So it does have this different effect moving forward but I think a big thing of what you just said right now is for the next generation to see all the beauty in that darkness right and to take the time to sit there and look around and be grateful for the things that are beautiful because it's still a beautiful life right and I think we forget that with all the things going on right now 
and all the things on social media and the things that we watch the news and I've tried to step back from those things because they can't you know, it's, gonna, it's gonna lose its luster you know I'm not, I'm not afraid you know everybody says oh god we're just all, all into our you know what we're gonna get bored with our phones it's gonna happen gonna happen you know it, it's just everybody's just freaking out on technology right now but we don't have no idea what's coming you know um, right but I think a lot of people in this movement and in what's going on right now I think a lot of people are looking to get rooted again right like that was something part of my healing process was going through healing I realized that I was gonna have to deal with childhood trauma and it was going to be hard it was going to be painful but I knew I had to do it to be where I'm at right now, right? Yes. And then once I started going through that healing process, it was so important for me to feel grounded again, to feel my feet in the dirt, literally go to Mexico and spend time down there and put my feet in the ground. Yeah, it's important lessons. You know, Mexicans, you know, I, I always tell people that I, you know, I am a gringo. I went down there and I'm full gringo assed out, man. Yeah. And Mexicans will always tell you, hey, man, chill out. You know? Yeah. <laughs> the hell, you know what I mean? Yeah. Why are you, why are you, don't, I don't, don't try to come up over here and tell us what a work ethic is. Right. And, right. you know, and this, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's been a beautiful thing, you know, and, and speaking of getting grounded and being in gardens, I forgot to mention uh, Makeda Dread, you know, and the World Beat Center. I started, you know, another real important development. I started... Uh, working at Profit Restaurant, actually it was my cousin who got a job as a dishwasher at the Profit Restaurant, and we were—he was like 13 years old. I would have been 14, you know, and and uh, I would go help him finish dishes so we could go party, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, and 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 we started, you know, doing shows and and helping out with shows, and mm -hmm. you know, and that was the way I'd get my tickets into the show. We'd help out, and she would let us, you know, come and work a little bit and we get in free and and um, you know without Makeda man where would we be you know what I mean and she's in such a controversial spot you yes. know what I mean she's always been walking on eggshells with the city and all always, of the politics right? and Rastafari uh -huh. and this and that but right. you know she taught us uh, you know so much yeah. how to heal ourselves through food and you know about about all the, the cultural aspects, Africa, I mean, she, you know, Rastafari was just one little bit about it, but indigenousness in Mexico and, um, you know, I mean, and she just, you know, she just, how that woman was able to teach this city as much as she did, you know, so I'm glad. And still does. And, and still and does. people don't even know it. And still does. So go down, you want to go check out a community garden, go down to the World Beat Center, and just walk in there and, 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 and learn, man. Yeah. I mean, that place is, uh, it's a, you know, victory. And then Centro Cultural mm -hmm. uh, is, is jamming now, you yeah. know what I mean? And, and, you know, there was, for so many time, years, it was like the World Beat Center, they didn't talk to the Centro Cultural. There was, right. like, there was like weird problems. There was so much, like, right. There was separation. Yeah. A lot. I remember that growing up there. There was always separation there. Right, but now, again, like I think because of the political climate, it has made people look around and say, why are we all against each other? Why are we fighting against each other? Why That's another thing. Is like, that, you know, when we have too much time on our hands and we feel too comfortable, tribalism erupts. 
You know what I mean? And it was just, it was, I was just watching a Roman thing the other day on Netflix, you know. And they say that the Celts, they didn't unify until the Romans came around. It was like, wait a minute, why do we fight each other? You know what I mean? And it's, it's just a classic, it's just this human tendency that we get into. Right. That, that, you know, we're always going to, we're always going to find, we're always going to pick out the differences until there's a moment of crisis, you know. I we're being forced to band together. Exactly. Right. And I think that's why it's so important to convey the part of community and organizing as a community now. So when those bigger moments come, we've learned so much off of each other, we vibe off of each other, and we're learning to work together. So right? True. So we can be more forceful and, and have the numbers, not just the actual numbers, but I mean the numbers in the community, the strength that you pull from one another. Right? That's so important for... Like I keep saying, the next generation that's coming up behind us. Absolutely. You know, you know we have learned a lot. We've crossed a lot of boundaries. Um, yeah. You know, um, it's... But that fight's never going to end, right? There's always going to be boundaries. There's going to be boundaries. <laughs> that's why I said, listening to the words that, that you spoke and you sang about then and how it's still so relevant to now is knowing, too, that when you get into these moments that the fight is not going to end and you have to be okay with that being an activist knowing that you're not going to change the world tomorrow you're not going to change people's and minds you never tomorrow. know you know what speaking of that um i was listening to your podcast with the with um the woman the lovely woman about mana yes, yes. venus uh-huh. and and uh and i was working i taught it at um sweetwater union high school for a long time i worked under uh uh this gentleman named Gerardo Chavez, who started um, Adelante, Adelante okay. Latino, yeah, and, okay. and, and Adelante Mujer, yeah. And oh man, I told him, you know, I, I sent him the podcast, and I said, listen, I just want, I wanted you to see what your work created, right? You know, and she said that her first experience at UCSD was an Adelante Mujer. You know what I mean? You never know. Right. You never know who's listening. You never who know who's touch. listening. Exactly. You know exactly. What I mean? And that's part of the drive that keeps me going with this, right? Is not knowing who I'm reaching, who uh, who's listening to me, right? And and just knowing that there is someone out there it's listening and learning and taking in, not just from me, but from the people that come on my podcast and the people that are willing to share and open up about their journeys because it's so relatable. Right? And there's so many things as a human that you can relate to. And to me, that's a beautiful thing. And that's why I keep doing it. Right? That's why I keep reaching out to people and say, please come talk to me. Talk to the people. Let people in. Let them listen to you. Because the more that you're letting this out, the more that people get more comfortable with sharing their stories. Right? And you learn so much about people. This podcast has taught me so much about being human and what that really means. You know, and again, you have wonderful guests. Thank you. I'm so lucky that these people like. <laughs> some people are like, "What am I getting myself into?" Like, <laughs> wait a second. Uh, but I've had some really great experiences um, with getting different people, you know, on the show and stuff. And you were one of those people that I was very eager to get for so many different reasons for my own personal growth, right? Not just the podcast. Um, but that's why I appreciate you, Kino. That's why I appreciate your time and you, you know, opening up and sharing to people because it does help. It's 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 crucial, you know. Um, I uh, 
I'm thinking of another podcast that you had, but you know what I mean. It's just your, your format's great. It uh, it's healed me. You know, so. Um, well, in return, I can say that your music is still healing me, and still part of my healing journey. So I appreciate that. I hope you let um, your family, your Big Mountain family, know that after all these years, it still touches me very deeply, and it still means so much to me to listen to your guys' music. So it's a very beautiful thing. Thank you. No, thank you. Damn it, Kira. I told you not to make me emotional. <laughs> um, well, thank you again, Kino, for um, coming on the podcast. Um, I can't wait to put this out and, you know, have people listen to more about you and what makes you, you know, the person that you are, the man that you are. And I appreciate that. So thank you again. Um, until then, fist up, chingonas. Pow. <laughs>